0: And I'm Marty Cates, the associate uh, pastor here at Sycamore. So glad to be uh, here to open God's Word with you this morning. One thing to note, and we just prayed in our shepherding prayer for Heath McLaughlin, the RUF campus minister at Virginia Tech. I'd encourage you uh, over the, you know, when you're praying today or throughout this week, to lift Heath up uh, in your prayers. He is suffering some, some uh, from some pretty debilitating uh, health issues right now, and just really in pain and Uh, Longs to get back to being able to be a father and a husband and a campus minister as he was before uh, he got uh, sick. So just be in prayer for him. And if you've ever met him, you would know he is he's like the picture of being fit and energized with money and loves to hike and all those things. And he can barely make it out of bed most days right now. So uh, just be in prayer for him uh, throughout uh, this week. Um, We are taking a, a break from our regular scheduled program of Ecclesiastes to begin to look toward Easter. Um, next week being Palm Sunday and in celebration of Jesus entering Jerusalem and then the following Sunday, Easter. Uh, this week, we're going to take a look at uh, one of the Psalms, the Psalm 130. It's uh, in a category of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms of Ascent. These are uh, the Psalms that the people of God uh, would use as they sung them and recited them and prayed through them on their way up to Jerusalem each year for the great feasts and festivals uh, when they would go uh, to the temple for worship and to make atonement uh, for their sins. There's 15 of them in all, and I think that you know, they're, they're psalms um, for those who are journeying. They're the psalms of the pilgrim. And if we're honest with ourselves, we each know that we're on a journey. We're on a journey together. We try to walk in faith uh, through the Holy Spirit. And we walk through this life, and so these are psalms that are for us uh, that hopefully will help us prepare our hearts for Easter but also just be a comfort to us uh, throughout our days. And so, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me uh, to Psalm 130. It's also found in your worship bulletin or on page 486, and the Bible's there, found uh, in the chair in front of you. It's Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come this morning. We ask for your blessing upon the reading and preaching of your word. And that you would use it this morning to encourage us. To equip us. Use it to convict us. Remind us of our need for mercy. And the work of Christ Jesus on our behalf. In whose name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 130 is not just a psalm of ascent, but it's also what's called a penitential psalm or a psalm of confession. we have been used to confess, and you can see that uh, in its text. It's a psalm that begins in the depths and ends in the heights, and that's kind of the two points this morning. I know you're thinking, Marty, that you're supposed to be a Presbyterian minister. There's supposed to be three points. There's only two points, but there's lots of subpoints. So don't worry, you're getting your money's worth this morning. Two points are in the depths and out of the depths. So we start in the depths. He, he cries out, it says, from the depths in verse 1. From the depths he cries out. And what are these depths? Is this literal depths? Is this like Joseph again and he's been thrown in the depths into the pit by his brothers? Is this Jonah in the depths of the sea, in the belly of a whale? Is this like, you know, Lassie's back and telling us little Timmy's falling down the well again? No. It's not a literal pit. It's not, not from the depths of a pit. It's a figurative. It's the depths of despair. It's, it's the depths of depression, of despondency. It's the, the depths that we all have faced at some point. There's dark places in life where sadness sets in, where depression sets in, where it's hard to get up out of bed, where it's hard to function in life. That's the depth that he, he cries out from. It's not just this general sense of depression. It's not just this general sense of despair. But it's, it's caused by something. It's caused by something specific that's put him there. It's his own sin. He's crying out to God for mercy. Not because he's under suffering and some plight from some enemy, but because of the iniquities that mark him. He says in verse 3 that who, who could stand before you, right? If you would mark my iniquities, I could not stand before you, God. And so he's wallowing in this, these pits of despair, of depression, because of the weight of his own guilt, the weight of his own shame. <clears throat> I think among us this morning, there's really two general groups of people that need to hear this. They're the first group, you're, you're in this place right now. You're suffering in the depths of your shame and, and guilt. You, you've looked inside yourself and you don't like what you see. You look in the mirror in the morning and you wish you could just be different, that you could change. You're overrun and overwhelmed by guilt and shame. You know these past two years have revealed a lot in us, in our hearts. The stress of having to deal with this pandemic and it has shaken and stressed many of us, and we don't like what we see when we look back at how we've reacted, how quick our temper became, how how frustrated and easily perturbed we were with our friends, our family, our children. We've been shaken to the core and what's come out we'd like to think is just, you know, it's, it's the one-off. It's not, it, that's not who I really am but when we're honest, when we're shaken and stressed and we lash out, what comes out of us in those moments is what's really deep inside of us. It's like having a water bottle. You shake it and if it's got something in it, whatever comes out is what's inside of it. That's what it's been. And so for many of us, including myself, we've been in this place or we're in this place we're in the depths of despair over our guilt and our shame and and, and we know this we don't want to be this person you see it and if you haven't watched uh, if you didn't watch the Academy Awards you you know, maybe you didn't hear or or see the slap heard around the world but you've heard it by now you know Will Smith got up on stage and and Chris Rock made a joke about his his, uh, wife and uh, her hair and she suffers with alopecia and I can tell you as uh, someone who's got a family member that does my mom has alopecia if you make fun of her I'll probably slap you too and I'll be in sin. And that's okay that time. I'll ask for forgiveness. But it elicited out of him anger and a reaction. And in his apology, he says, this is not who I want to be. It's not who I want to be. And that's the cry of many of our hearts. I don't want to be this person. And yet we know we are. And so we're there in the depths. There's a second group. You're not feeling any of this guilt or shame or any remorse over your sin. And, and right now that, that could be because of a couple things. Maybe you're in a good place with the Lord. Maybe you're walking right now with the Spirit and you're living in the freedom that comes from Christ and you're just living high and you're resting in the freedom that Christ gives. And to you I say amen and amen. And I hope this sermon is an encouragement for you to continue. But most likely, most likely, if you're anything like me, when you're in that second group, it's because you're out of touch with God. And you're completely lacking in self-awareness. A lot of times we get to that place and we're like, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not, I don't feel guilty about anything. I haven't been sinning a lot recently. And we think we're in a good place because we have this picture of what it means to be mature in Christ. And we think maturity in Christ is being some crazy ninja Christian who can just like beat away temptation constantly. We've got crazy quick hands. And every time the devil shows up or temptation seeks him, we slap it away. But that's just not what it means to be mature. No, maturity in Christ looks like seeing his holiness more and more. Seeing our sin in greater ways. Seeing our need for mercy more and more clearly. See, those mature Christians that you have in life that I, that I have the, the privilege of knowing and walking alongside of, many of you, they're people that are humble. They're the ones that are quick to ask for forgiveness. They're the ones that are lamenting and repenting over the sin in the world and the sin in their lives. They've moved past just seeing their actions and begun to see the heart behind the things that drive them. And they begin to see more and more their need for mercy. And so when we find ourselves in this place that we're not really feeling guilt, we're not seeing our shame, we're not really remorseful over our sin, it's more often than not because we've lost touch with God. Not because we've matured. We're all in this place or been in this place in the depths crying out for mercy. Right, Scripture tells us that all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And so we cry out for mercy. We cry out for mercy just as the psalmist does. He says, out of the depths, out of the depths of despair, I cry to you, O Lord. And so where do we cry? When we find ourselves in the pit of despair, when we find ourselves struggling and wallowing in our guilt and our shame, where do we cry? More often than not, we cry out, we turn to ourselves. We do it in two ways. First way is that we suppress it. We deny it. This is very popular in modern culture. We write songs about it. They get used in commercials that I thought were really funny. 2021 Super Bowl commercial Cheetos did. He got Ashley Kuchar and his wife, and she's got the bag of Cheetos, and she's eating it. And he, he's constantly talking about how she's getting caught. She's like, it wasn't me. That, that's how we act often about our sin. It wasn't me. My daughters do this. Maybe if you've got kids or grandkids, they do this something falls, something happens, they're like, I didn't do it. (laughs) And they name one of their siblings that was apt to probably have done it. But we're also not that simple about things. You know, uh, Sigmund Freud, you probably have heard of him, he's the father of modern psychology, says that guilt is essentially a pathological disorder that has been given to you by your parents, your religion, and even your society. And that a healthy person must reject this concept of guilt as a social construct and move towards self-acceptance. How wonderful. <laughs> and that's the prevailing thought we live with, right? We live with this idea that if we feel guilty, we need to stop and, and we need to say to ourselves, "Self, so stop that. There's nothing wrong with you. You haven't done anything wrong. You've got agency and freedom to choose what's right and wrong for yourself. Stop feeling guilty and don't let anyone else put a guilt trip on you. We live like this. Accept you for you. You do you. Be your own man. I jokingly say that to my, my, my wife and, and children sometimes. I'm my own man. I do what I want. And that's just a way of denying and suppressing. And I don't do it, I do it jokingly. It's not to deny or suppress sinful things, those things happen. But we, we could just push them to the side. We decide for ourselves. Another way we do it is by judging others. At least I'm not like them. At least I don't do that. I mean that could be worse. How quick we are in the pits of despair to think if we can just cover it over, if we can just forget about it. It'll work itself out. But here's the thing, it doesn't work. You can cover over your guilt for a bit, you can whisper to yourself, it's not that big of a deal. Nobody knows. I'm not hurting anybody else doing this. We don't have to tell anybody. We'll just do better next time. And how many many, many times in the secret places of our lives do we whisper that to ourselves? Nobody has to ever know this. Nobody ever has to know. I didn't hurt anybody else. And so we just move on. We just keep quiet and we move on and yet, Denying and suppressing when works work so long. Sure, it can help us get rid of the guilt, but it does not deal with that deeper sense of shame. About the same time that Freud was writing, Franz Kafka was also writing, and, and, and Kafka said, the problem modern people have now is we all feel like sinners, though independent of guilt. What he means is, yeah, sure, we rid ourselves of this concept of guilt, but we still feel that there's something wrong with us. We still feel like something's not right. Something doesn't sit like it's supposed to sit. He wrote this entire uh, short story. It's kind of a parable called The Trial. And in The Trial, there's a man that he gets accused of a crime. He gets put on trial for the crime. And he gets condemned for the crime. And yet he's never told what his crime is. He's never told what his offense is. Look, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you're here for whatever reason, you're visiting family or you're lonely and thought, man, a church going to have people in it. I need to go there this morning. You know this. You live this because if God's authority has no place in your life, it says law has no place in your life, you still have a sense that something's wrong and not just wrong outside of you, but inside of you. We still have this, this feeling that we cannot escape that something's just off and it needs to be fixed. And so we go about looking for things to fix it. And when we we realize that denying it and suppressing it doesn't work. And so we turn to handling it. We handle it ourselves. We just work it all. Right? Had a couple extra cookies. Add five minutes to the treadmill. And I got a fight with my wife. I pick up flowers on the way home. I blew it up at the kids this week. Take them out for ice cream. You know, I missed, I missed some life event in Junior's Life that he thought was important. So, you know, I'll buy him that, that new gadget he really wants. We do these acts of penance to work off our guilt and shame. We just don't call them penance. Right? We call them being kind and being caring and being thoughtful, being present. You know, we wrap them up with bows to make them feel good and look good to ourselves and to others. But all they are are ways that we are trying to loose ourselves from the grips of our guilt and shame. And we do whatever we can to claw our way out of these depths, to claw our way out of the pit of despair, and it just doesn't work. If you read the inside cover of your bulletin, you saw a quote in there that says, when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. When we're in the pits, when we're in the pit of despair, when we're wallowing in our guilt and shame, there's not much fun. And it's not very easy to unslump yourself. In fact, it can't be done. It doesn't work. Because how do you know when you've done enough? How, how, how do you know that you've proved your moral self to be good? How do you know you've made up for whatever offense it is enough? That, that's the problem of religion without grace. How much is enough? How much? How much longer will you continue to wallow and try and ask that question? And so if suppressing it doesn't work, if working for it doesn't work, well, what do we do? Well, the psalmist tells us what we do in the depths. He begins in the depths, but the first thing he does is he cries out to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. It's the Lord. It's his covenant name. It's the name that he gives to his people. It's The name that says to them, I am your God and you are my people. And we have this relationship together that you have promises that are from me that are given to you and know that I am a God who is faithful. And so he cries out to this covenant God. And what does he do? Well, first, he admits to the Lord. He confesses his need for mercy. He confesses his need for mercy and he confesses that he's a sinner. Verses 3 and 4, right? You know, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Look, it is scary. It is terrifying to be exposed. It's why we're so quick to cover up. And we learned it well. I mean, Genesis 3 tells us that when when Adam and, and Eve... Uh, hear God walking in the garden they know that they have sinned against him that they what? they run and they hide because they've been exposed we are afraid of this and I, I understand that's why sometimes we need a little help and each week in our worship services we take time to help each other to confess together corporately And then we give you a chance in that moment of silence to take just a moment to to confess the Lord silently as led by the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we, we need a little help over the line from one another to confess before God, to trust that He is good and faithful as He says He is. You know, we deny it, and 1 John tells us that when we deny it, we make ourselves liars and we make Him a liar. But when we are faithful to confess that He is faithful and just to forgive. So step one is to be seen and to be known, to be truthful about our sin. To Look at why, why is he so quick to admit, to cry out to God when he lays out for us who God is. When he says, but one of those great conjunctions. Last week there was that conjunction in Ecclesiastes 6 and I said it's one of the scary ones but it's actually a good thing. It's the severe mercy that God has for us. This is just one of those joyous ones. He says, who could stand before you if you kept track of all of our sins, if you kept a record of our iniquities, but in you, but you, oh God, there is forgiveness in you. And so he looks to God because there's forgiveness. He looks to God because God doesn't keep record. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand before you? And I tell you that for those of us that are in Christ, if you know Jesus this morning, if you are, Resting in him by faith for your salvation. Know that the Lord does not count against you your iniquities. Romans tells us there is there for now no condemnation. I married a teacher. She hasn't uh, taught since we moved back to Virginia. But I-, I learned a little bit about like teaching philosophy and stuff as she was studying teaching. And, you know, we would study things together. Uh, she would study and I would just stare at her because she's so beautiful. And um, but classroom management and the things they do today as I've experienced watching her but also now having a daughter in school is very different than classroom management when I was a student when I was in kindergarten, first grade, second grade they still kind of have the same chart but they use it differently so there was a chart in my, my younger grade school classrooms, it was like green at the bottom and red at top and everybody, you know let's say you were the jellyfish class everybody had a little jellyfish with your name on it or your initials and you all started out at the bottom. And then there were marks on the way up the thermometer or whatever it might have been. And it was like the first one was like five minutes of recess. And the next one was 10 minutes of recess. The next one was no recess. The next one was lunch detention. And then letter home to your parents and the principal's office. And every time you did something just bad enough for the teacher to walk over there and move your little jellyfish up. <laughs> I spent a lot of days with no recess. And the days I had recess were glorious. I could go, you know, play football with the boys or find a girl, kiss a girl, or whatever it might have been. We were playing there in you know, grade school. And it was great. And you would, you would think that I would learn my lesson and that, that my teacher being gracious and, and kind every day would be a blank slate and she wouldn't remember my past transgressions. And we would all start at the bottom again. We'd all start at the bottom of the, the chart every single day. You'd come back and you're at the bottom. But for the kids who were the trouble kids... And I was a trouble kid. I was a talker. I was a chatter. Hard, hard to keep me quiet. And um, what you found out was that your, your little jellyfish moved a lot faster than everybody else's. <laughs> Not because you were getting in trouble more, but because every time you got in trouble, it took a bigger jump than, say, you know, the, the, the kid next to you who was the epitome of perfect behavior. Why? Because teachers, my teachers just like me, keep records of wrongdoings. You do it. I do it. We we have people in our lives that we just write off because they've messed up again and again and again and again. We just know they're going to screw up again. And it can be simple things, right? Like the person that's late to everything. You just go ahead and chalk up they're going to be late to everything. Because we keep track. We, we know those people who have wronged us and we don't let that go. And so it's hard for us to see in this psalm where he says that the Lord does not keep track of his iniquities and believe that it's true. Because at our hearts, we do this. And so we like to think that God does this. We like to think that he's, you know, just the, the God that's up there in the sky waiting for us to screw up again. But that's not what it says here. It says he cries out to him because he doesn't keep record. And he doesn't keep record, he's forgiving. Right? In verse 4 it says, who could stand before you if you kept record of us? If you kept record of our iniquities, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. But with you, there is forgiveness. And that, and that because of that, you'd be worshipped. She it says that you may be worshipped. Right To enter into His presence, there has to be forgiveness. To, to come and to worship Him, there has to be forgiveness. This is a holy God. He's not light on sin. He's a holy God. And so in Him there is forgiveness. And He keeps going and He says then in verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. There is love that's never failing. Right? 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, it's love that that endures all things, it bears all things. That's the love of God. This this love here in Psalm 130 is that word in the Old Testament that gets translated in all these different ways because it's this joining of, of this love and this commitment that we don't really quite have enough language to grasp. But this is that steadfast, loving kindness of God. It's his covenant love. It's an unfailing love. And so he says to God, I cry out to you and, and hear my voice because in you there's love that's unfailing. You know, we, we think that God's up there waiting for us to screw up again to chide us and to chastise us. And God's up there waiting to hear us repent and run to him. that Christ's glory may be known even greater. He, he cries out to God because there's a certainty. Right in verses five and six, he says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. Now, this, this could be the, the, the guy standing on the walls around the city watching for marauders or bandits or foreign adversaries that are coming to invade. Or it could be the Levitical night watch waiting for the morning sacrifices. It doesn't matter. They both long for the morning. They both wait for the morning. And they wait with what? With a certainty. They wait with a certainty that it's going to come. There's this musical you probably have heard of. It. It's called Annie. And she sings a song about tomorrow. Because the sun will come out tomorrow. And like clockwork, literally like clockwork, it comes out. So he's waiting, he's crying out to God and he's crying out and hoping in the word of the Lord. Why? Because he has certainty that God is good. That God is faithful, that God will do what he needs him to do. What he longs for him to do. That he'll give him forgiveness. He cries out to God because God is full of redemption. In verse 7, with him is plentiful redemption. We need to realize that forgiveness and redemption, things that we often intermingle are two separate things they come together in the lord there's forgiveness and there's redemption forgiveness is you've wronged me i forgive you i I move past it you're okay redemption is i'm going to take that thing that's ugly i'm going to turn it into something that's beautiful i'm going to take your story that that where you've wronged me where you've sinned against me and where you you hide in, in the ugliness of your sin i'm going to turn it into something beautiful into a story of, of, of grace that gives me glory. And we rob Him of that when we hide. We rob Him of that in the pits of despair and we run to things that are not the Lord. And we rob ourselves of our stories being redeemed. The Lord is in the business of redeeming and it is plentiful. I mean, there is nothing too ugly for Him to turn beautifully. And you're like, no, Marty, you don't know that. You don't know my story. I know a whole lot of them. And there's nothing too ugly for him to turn to beautiful. You can't outsend the grace of God. His mercy comes anew every morning. And so he cries out to God. He admits that he's a sinner. And Brene Brown, who's this prolific writer now about guilt and shame, says that that our, our greatest fear is to be exposed, and yet our greatest Longing is to be known. And we sit in that paradox, right? Like we don't want to be exposed, but we want to be known. And what that means is that we often think that if we're loved by someone, it's because they don't really know us. And if they really know us, they can't love us. And yet the psalmist says no to that. The psalmist says, no, that's not the case. That the Lord knows us. And in him there is forgiveness. In him there is unfailing love and redemption. And by the, the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he sees Jesus. I don't know how clearly, you know, I don't think he saw Jesus of Nazareth, but he, he saw that the Lord was going to come, that, that God was going to provide redemption from all sins of his people. Through him. Verse 8. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. The writer's saying, it's going to be the Lord. Israel, you can cope in the Lord. And they're singing this song on their way up to Jerusalem. They're headed there for, for the, the sacrifices that need to be made, for the blood that needs to cover them. And, and the writer's saying, there's a day coming when He, when God, when God will redeem Israel from all of our sins. And we, we won't need this anymore. And as we get on our way towards Easter, the celebration of that event, of the time that he himself came, when he came to give us freedom, forgiveness, when he came to redeem us from the depths, to pull us out, and to give us a place at the table. The psalmist is reminding us of that. So, how do we move from the, the depths of despair to the heights? We look to the Lord, we look to the cross, and the hope of the resurrection. Look to Easter. It's only a day away. Would you pray with me? Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, we come this morning rejoicing. Rejoicing in you, our God. Rejoicing in the good news of the gospel. That you have heard our cries for mercy. And that you are faithful and just that your love is unfailing, and that in you there is redemption, there is forgiveness. So we rejoice this morning and ask that throughout this week and the weeks to come, you would remind us of that, of this song of mercy that we might be quick to repent, to run to you, the one who can pull us out of the depths of despair. It's in Christ's name we pray and then